When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. Today we are talking about the behaviors of allyship with special guests from Maya's Megan Holst. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more and become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. I'm your host, Shane, and I'm a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior change, animal training, and the animal care field. Even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. Today, we are going to continue on with another addition to our The Behaviors of series, which focuses on the behaviors of the human side of the animal care and training field. And today, our special guest is Megan Holst, who's one of the founders of MIAS, which is the Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Sciences. And today, she's going to be talking about something that is very important to our field and to life in general, and that is the behaviors of allyship. And I can tell you that I learned a ton from talking with Megan and also going to Maya's website. They have tons of resources that are really great to being able to learn more about what Megan's talking about and how you can be a great ally at work and in your life. So let's get to know our special guest today, Megan Holst. So thank you for joining me today, Megan. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, excited to have this collaboration and bring this topic because I know it's something that us at the ABMA want to help support organizations just like Maya's and talking about this really important information. But before we get a little bit into the discussion today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey that got you to this point? Sure. My journey has been all over the place. I will maybe abbreviate it a little bit, but I have worked at zoos and aquariums for about a decade. I went into zoos and aquariums for the research aspect. Starting when I was an intern, I actually did an internship to prove to myself that zoos and aquariums weren't for me and found the opposite and fell in love with zoos and aquariums and (laughs) 
realized that in the same day that I was doing research with fish and wildlife, going out to do some rockfish surveys or some scuba diving surveys, and the same day I could come back to my touch pool and do a public talk and then tell the general public about the research we were doing. And as a scientist, having that platform to access the general public is incredibly unique and something I've always been really attracted to. So right now, I am a PhD candidate at uh, the University of California, Davis. I study seven gill shark ecology. And I also have a podcast called Sharkpedia, where my co-host and I talk about shark science and have the lead author of scientific articles come on and break down their research with us to make it a lot more digestible and make literature more accessible to everyone. And my ultimate goal is to continue making science more accessible and ideally working with Susan Aquariums throughout my career to provide the foundation for research and, and learning and science communication. And as part of that, it has led me to co-found Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Science because I think there are equity problems within our industry. And I am very passionate about working towards making our industry as equitable as possible. I love science. I love science communication, but I also love social justice issues. I mean, I don't love them. You know what I mean? Social just social justice is issues are things that we need to talk about and learn about. And I'm really grateful that uh, ABMA was willing to collaborate with us so that we could talk about that exact thing. Yes, it is so important that we have these discussions. And as I was listening to you talk, I was like, you're exactly right. The path forward for modern zoos is using both the science of behavior change and also coupling the science that is going to help preserve species that we are caring for, because that's what all of us and scientists are all about. And also the modern zoo involves discussing and helping to move forward some of those social justice issues and challenges that we've had. So very excited to have you on. I'm excited because I feel like I'm going to learn a ton from this podcast as well. You don't mind, I might mention really yeah. quick, you said something about protecting endangered species, I think. Did you just say that? Preserving species, yes. Preserving exactly. species. Mm -hmm. Okay. You just said this thing about preserving species, and we actually have Shannon Farmer is one of our members, and she writes a lot of blog posts for us for Minorities in Crime and Zoo Sciences. And one of the first blogs she wrote was about what it feels like to protect endangered species while feeling like an endangered species herself by being an ethnic minority in this industry and feeling like there's a lot of effort that goes into protecting the animals we care for, but that same effort is not made for the people that show up to do that work. And that's just so important that we talk about how to protect the people that are showing up to do this work, because without the people, uh, we're not going to have conservation at all within zoos and aquariums. So we have to protect not only the animals, but the people doing the work. The people and the animals are equally important in this field. And so a couple of episodes ago, we started the Behavior of series, and it's talking about the human side of this field because it is such a vital aspect of that. And I actually read that article that you were talking about. And oh, wonderful. Because it's something that for me, I'm like, wow, it gives you goosebumps because I've never had those feelings because I don't fall into that. But being able mm -hmm. to get that perspective, I think, is really important. 
Yeah. And you mentioned something really quick that I think is important to at least touch on because your listeners can't see me. And I just want to be very transparent and straightforward that I am not an ethnic or racial minority. But there is a space for all of us to work within this equity work. And so if you're if you are white and you don't identify as an ethnic or racial minority, I know it can be intimidating to get involved in this work. But we are the individuals that really need to be doing the work. Um, so I hope that through this podcast and maybe through our organization, you can find a place of learning and support where we can all take some of that power back and, and feel empowered to make a difference. You've said it a couple of times. I mean, I said the acronym earlier, MIAS, Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Sciences. Can you explain a little bit more of how this organization was founded, what it is, and what the current goals and future goals are? I know that's a lot, but just go ahead and tell us all about MIAS. Oh, you got it. I'd be happy to share all the things <laughs> about MIAS. So the discussions for MIAS, Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Sciences, started in 2020, like many equity discussions after the horrible murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I was very impacted by that. I was especially impacted by the lack of action. And part of what I mean by the lack of action is is not just by the government or what the news media was showing, but by my day-to-day life. Uh, I was showing up at an aquarium and we all just, you know, kept going like nothing happened. And there's no, in my opinion, there's just no way to ignore when something in society happens like that. And that to think that it doesn't impact us at a zero aquarium is, is misplaced. We absolutely are affected by injustices in society. And I have seen within our industry so much that we are primarily a very, very white industry. And I do not think that's a mistake. I think that is very much by design. I think that starts a lot with unpaid opportunities or pay-to-play opportunities where individuals have had to have financial means to even get their foot in the door for this, um, this type of work. And I know that everyone in this industry everyone experiences the financial strain myself included i had a i worked multiple multiple jobs at one point i had five jobs just trying to make ends meet uh, because we just don't get paid in this field and i know that's a struggle for everyone and what i want people to hear before they feel defensive is that our members are that are identified as racial and ethnic minorities they have the struggles that we have and they have additional barriers because the history of their family has not had as much financial access or uh, professional development opportunities or whatever. I mean, even when we talk about the Black community, they've had less than 100 years to even their families to even hold uh, finances, to hold money. The thought of it being a level playing field, I suppose, is, is not always true. And So I uh, approached my co-founder, Jenny Jansen, in 2020, and we agreed that um, this is a relevant issue within our industry. It affects every portion of our animal care and how we operators use in aquariums, how we train our animals, how we care for our animals. You know, diverse perspectives and diverse experiences are incredibly important. We talk about how having diverse thought helps you spot blind spots that you might not have seen before. And a person with a different background or upbringing 
or history might see something completely different, even with animal behavior, than someone else that hasn't had those experiences. Um, so in 2020, I approached Jenny Jansen and said, you know, I, I feel frustrated. I'm an animal caretaker in this industry, and I don't see our leaders doing anything or even responding or acknowledging to the injustices that are happening in our society. And we're all just kind of pretending like it doesn't affect us, but it does. It does affect us. And I I feel like I need to do something. Uh, so I have to credit here, one of my very good friends, Amani Weber-Schultz, is one of the co-founders of MISS, also known as Minorities in Shark Sciences. And they started also in 2020. They founded this incredible organization for women of color, or actually I think all... Um, all gender minorities of color in shark sciences and really just blew this organization out of the water, creating professional development opportunities and just demonstrating that there are ethnic and racial minorities that exist in this industry when we don't always see it represented. And I saw what she was doing with Miss and I said to Jenny, we have to do this. This is exactly what Aquarium and Zoo Science needs. We need representation. We need a place that's not only inclusive for ethnic and racial minorities to feel like they have community, but also a place of learning for everyone, uh, not just for our members, but for people like me who are white and aren't always sure what to do, but we want to do something and are frustrated by the lack of action. How do we, how do we even start to get involved with something like that? So Maya's creates this space where people can actually come in and learn. We have financial and professional development opportunities for our members. And we also have things like ally skills workshops where anybody, um, our members or who we call our friends who are non-ethnic and racial minorities, our friends can come in and participate with events like ally skills workshops and actually practice these skills in a safe space. So they feel a lot more confident and comfortable going back into their organizations and implementing those actions. So Maya's is a lot about action. It's a lot about acknowledging that there is a problem, identifying that problem, and then looking within all of us from intern all the way to CEO about what kind of role that we can all play in creating a more equitable space, starting at our home institutions and then spreading to larger things like our industry and conferences and internships and how we get people involved in this industry in the first place. So it was a long-winded thing to say that we started because of injustices and nobody else was doing anything and we were tired of nobody doing anything. So we decided to do something and we created Maya's. We are so grateful to have had um, enough of a, uh, we've been able to raise enough funds to support a number of members going to professional development opportunities, including we just had the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, AZA. Uh, the annual conference was last week and we had four members were sponsored to go and not only participate in the AZA, but they actually were speakers at AZA as well. And um, that's really rewarding. You know, our goal is to really increase the representation of minorities in this field and and retain the minorities that we currently have because retention is a huge, huge issue in this industry in general. Thank you for going through all of that and for also taking action. So I give all of you kudos for seeing something, being passionate about it and doing this because I can imagine it was a lot of work 
to get started with an organization and continue on with that. And before we go any farther, I do want to let everyone know that if you are a podcast listener and you haven't checked out the Natural Encounters NEI Tech Talk podcast, a couple of episodes ago, maybe a couple, maybe it was a couple months ago at this point, Jenny, uh, your co-founder of Maya's was on their podcast. And I'd like to encourage people to go listen to that as well. What we're going to be talking about is going to be a really good coupling with that. Jenny and the hosts of that podcast talk a lot about getting racial and ethnic minorities into the zoo and aquarium sciences. And they talk a lot about how interview processes, hiring processes, all those things. So it's really great stuff. And I encourage you to go and listen, listen to this podcast and also listen to that because I think it'll, well, hopefully it will give you a holistic idea and approach to some of what Maya's does. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Jenny's fantastic. I couldn't do this without her. And she identifies as Chinese American. And we have this wonderful dynamic between having the perspective of being an ethnic and racial minority on Jenny's side and me not being an ethnic or racial minority, but wanting to do something and using that partnership so that we can reach both sides of the aisle. And I just remembered the episode of NAI Tech is called Asian Chick in the Back of the Room, if you're yeah. if you're looking for it. So yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, that's genuinely how Jenny says how to find her at conferences. She's like, I'm the Asian chick at the back of the room. And it's funny and frustrating <laughs> that yeah. she's the only Asian chick in the back of the room. And that's why it's so easy to find her. And as we continue on with our episode, Megan, can you tell people how they can get involved in Maya's and or mm-hmm. support Maya's? Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of ways to get involved. The easiest way is to go to our website, mayas.org, M-I-A-Z-S.org. Look at our memberships. Our memberships are completely free for all, for everyone. And again, we have two different memberships, one being uh, Maya's members, which are ethnic and racial minorities within the aquarium and zoo science fields. And we also have Maya's friends, which are individuals that do not identify as ethnic and racial minorities, but want to be a part of the conversation, want to learn and want to be an active member of change within this industry. So, you know, again, in Maya's, it's for us, it's a lot about action, putting things into action and not just talk. And so just by showing up, that's how people can make a difference. Looking at those memberships, we have a Slack channel or a page for Maya's where everyone can talk to each other within our networks. And that's a great way to connect directly with other people in this industry across the entire industry. That's where if people want to share job postings, if you're a member or a friend, you can come into our uh, into our network and talk directly to our members and say, I have this job posting. You can also share what your organization is doing to make your organization more equitable and safe and inclusive. And again, we have these ally skills workshops and networking events where just by showing up and participating and supporting our members, that's a great way that you can get involved. And of course, we also have our donations page. We're always looking for support of any kind, including financial support, which provides professional development opportunities for our members. Um, So we've been able to send a lot of members to different conferences and workshops, and we hope to continue to do that to increase the increase and retain the number of minorities that currently exist in aquarium and zoo sciences. So today, the focus of our episode is the behaviors of allyship. 
So to start, Megan, can you explain what allyship is? Allyship is having people put in the actual work. And we often say within our ally skills workshop that calling yourself an ally is not a self-deeming name. Um, It's something that you do, not something that you are. And being an ally is all about action. It's about showing up actively when um, someone else maybe needs needs a voice, needs someone to show up. It's about, you know, doing the uncomfortable thing and standing up for others and never expecting praise or doing the right thing when no one is watching, you know, pulling somebody aside and saying, hey, you know, you said that comment to that person in the meeting and I just want you to know that that's not okay. Even better is if you want to be an ally is to say it outright when the behavior is happening and say, yikes, or hey, I I don't think that's where this discussion should go. Um, being an active ally it means showing up. Um, and that can be in so many different ways. You know, I, I love teaching people the phrase yikes because it's like the easiest thing that you can do or say in a conversation, especially if there's a, a unequal power balance in the room and maybe someone higher up is saying something that's ignorant or or hurtful and just saying yikes says I don't agree with what you just said and what you just said was problematic without actually saying either of those things and it lets people in the room know that there's somebody else that exists in the room that doesn't agree with what's being said that's really important it is so important to say something when you do not agree especially if it's racially ignorant um Imagine if you're the only person of color in a room and someone's making a joke or making some side comment or microaggression. You know, that's the worst part is micro these microaggressions are these like really small behaviors that aren't directly racist, but are like death by a thousand cuts because these racial undertones, what they're saying are discriminatory. And if you're the only person of color in the room and people are having this conversation around you, it immediately puts a target on that person's back. Like, oh, everyone must agree with this because no one's saying otherwise. And I know for a fact that that's happened to a number of people that I care very much about where something was said that made them feel physically threatened and no one said anything in the room. And so they didn't know if they had anyone to literally have their back if uh, things were going to become physical. So it doesn't seem like a big deal, like, hey, words are words. It It is a big deal. Uh, it's such a big deal to say something. It is such a big deal to the people who are the subject of that discrimination to know that they have another person literally having their back in the room. Um, so saying yikes, saying anything matters. That's the easiest way to be an ally. And you kind of just went through some of them, but I was wondering, so taking action, speaking out, what are Mm -hmm. some other behaviors of allyship within a team as an individual in a workplace? Yeah. I mean, being, there's so many different ways to be an ally and I, and it's not just about being an ally to racial and ethnic minorities. It's about just being a good human to your other humans. You know, we often also talk about, how easy it is to just even within a meeting, you can make it more equitable and inclusive. 
with really easy actions by assigning people roles. And I know that sounds silly, but if imagine if you're not someone that speaks up a lot and you're constantly the person being asked to take notes. You know, that can start to feel a little degrading if every meeting you're the one taking notes and no one else is doing that role. So assigning people roles and then switching those roles can create equity equity within your peer system. That's an example of, in a meeting, how you can make an equitable space. Uh, it's also, yes, yeah, speaking up is a huge thing, huge, huge thing. It's also about not being silent. You know, when when your organization says something or does something that you don't agree with, it's important to to say that you don't agree with it because otherwise the assumption, if you're silent, is that you do agree with it. <laughs> Silence means that you agree. So saying something outright, saying like, hey, I don't agree with that or yikes or that's not cool. We don't do that here. We don't talk about that here. Those are really, really easy ways to create equity within your workplace. In general, one of the easiest ways to be an ally or create a better workplace is by not being defensive, by identifying what our privileges are, because every single one of us, doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is, all of us have privileges. And using that privilege to benefit others is a great way that we can help other individuals or and like speaking up for another another person. Um, so if you're always speaking up and you think that you're getting pushback, man, that's a bummer because that pushback to me says someone is maybe feeling threatened. They are uh, not wanting to talk about something that's maybe uncomfortable. And I think that invites a larger conversation. Why is there so much defensiveness about this? Um, when people come to me with, hey, you said this thing and I want to talk about it, I think conflict like that is can be actually such a good thing. I think conflict is looked at like such a negative thing. But we deal with conflict all the time on a daily basis. And conflict can be this wonderful opportunity for learning and improving um, not just our skills, but our relationships with people. And that's also what allyship is, is building this trust bank between individuals of like, I trust you. And so I'm going to come to you with this problem. People are sharing you feedback with you because they care about your opinion and they want you to get on board. Um, so if someone is coming to you with some criticism, it's so easy to be like, hey, that's not me. Or, hey, I'm not racist. But, you know, that's like the most common thing is I'm not racist. That's not the accusation. No one is sitting here saying these big named things. What we're saying is, hey, these words or these actions had an impact. And I care enough about this relationship that I want to tell you how that impacted me negatively so that we can improve that for the future. That's such an awesome thing if someone's being vulnerable with you and sharing that information. So I don't know if I have as much advice for the person that's constantly speaking up, except good for you. It's hard. Keep doing it. We need more of you. And also be willing to hear feedback of maybe you're, you know, if if you are getting a lot of defense, ask them, how could have I brought this up in a way that would have been more inviting for conversation? Maybe you said it in a in a weird, harsh way, and maybe that can be improved, but but really, I, I just encourage people to say, to really sit back and think. If you're getting that feedback, instead of defending back, sit back and say, okay, this person wants to tell me this thing. And what is it that they're actually saying? And what can I do about it? 
are really easy ways to <laughs> help each other out. I really enjoyed that answer. And it made me think a lot about a book that has helped me personally a lot. I always suggest it is the book Crucial Conversations talks a lot about how you can have these difficult conversations. So it can extrapolate to every part of your life, but especially with difficult or crucial conversations like this. I think that is another great way. And basically, a lot of the things that they talk about in the book, you just said right there. So that was cool for me to to hear that spoken in a way that is in the context of what we're talking about. So another question for you for advice on how people can bring up these discussions in a workplace. Someone that is maybe feeling like there is a social justice issue or that they are frustrated with the lack of inclusion in their team and their facility, how would you suggest people start to bring up these discussions in a positive, impactful, effective way? Yeah, that's a really big question because I think it can so often depend on the circumstance and who's involved, what's the power dynamic, right? But even for me as an individual who worked in animal care at one of these institutions, one of the things that I did that I could suggest to others is is talking to your supervisor and saying, this really matters to me. Here are things that don't seem maybe super equitable. And I here are my ideas with how we could make it more equitable. I think having some ideas for solutions can always be really helpful. Saying something to somebody you trust. And unfortunately, like I I have heard so many stories about individuals at their workplace where they don't have a person in a position of higher power that they can trust to talk to about. And that's a really big bummer. And what I would say about that is feel free to reach out to us at Maya's, become a member, become a friend. And those are discussions we have within our network where you can get, you have a safe space. Um, All of us within our network talk about not sharing each other's stories, but just being here as a support system and talking through those situations together because it's multifaceted. It's often complicated and every situation is going to need kind of a different response. But if there is somebody that you trust, especially that's in a higher position of power with of you, then it's so easy to send, especially if you can get it in writing, send an email, say, this thing happened and I would love to prevent that from happening again by this, by these couple ideas that I have. Or, hey, I just think that, you know, there's some inequity happening and here's ways that we can change that. Or I don't know what to do, but I would like to discuss it regardless. I think this is a, a DEI issue and and that is now part of AZA's mission and a lot of our institutions are AZA accredited. And just talking about it, giving it space, making it a part of your business practice, whether that is part of your agenda within your meetings of like, hey, let's talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in ways that it worked this week in ways that it didn't work this week. That might sound silly, but just by like getting everyone's wheels turning, you can start to come up with some really great solutions together. It was a very generic answer, but I think it's such a big question because every situation is so different. And I think at the end of the day, the answer will also always be say something. Don't stay quiet. And that is part of the reason that this discussion belongs in animal behavior conversations. I liked all of the ideas that you gave and the way that people can start thinking about it, because I know I am learning and my gears are turning a lot as you're talking through this as well. 
Yeah. And you know, nobody's perfect. I I won't sit here and pretend that I've done everything perfectly. I definitely have not. But I think also not being afraid to make a mistake is really important. That was something that I had to face when I founded this organization because I thought I was too low in the hierarchy of zoo and aquarium science. And I thought, I'm white. I don't have a place to speak about these issues. Somebody else should be speaking about this. And I just want to encourage everyone that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. I've made mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes as long as we can acknowledge that when we make mistakes and grow from them and move forward. And that's just in general part of learning. Have you ever learned anything in school or on the job or you didn't mess up a couple times first? Like all of this stuff takes practice and we have to be practicing these little minute actions and behaviors and thought processes to make it part of our daily ingrained nature and behavior. Since this is an animal-related podcast, I feel I can say in the great words of the singer Gazelle from Zootopia, birds don't just fly, they fall down and get back up. Yeah! There we go. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> uh, right. You, you, this is your introduction to me, but that is the way my brain works 24-7. So anyone who knows me is probably eye-rolling or laughing hysterically because I'm hilarious. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Moving on into the last discussion, for at least for right now, when we were discussing this podcast episode, one of the big takeaways that you were talking about that I wanted to hit on because I think it is so important is the question, why is human behavior just as important as the behavior of the animals that we work with? Yeah, I love this question, and it's not talked about enough. So just like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast with one of our members writing a blog post about how it feels to protect endangered species while feeling like an endangered species herself by being a minority in this field. Behavior of humans is so important. The humans are, are who is responsible for the animal care. So if that human is not thriving, it's really hard for me to believe that the animal is going to thrive. And I think all of us, you know, we put our animals first. Animal care people always put the animals first. The animal's never going to suffer. I will suffer, but my animals won't. You know, we're very animal forward, which is great. But I would push that if you're a manager or someone in a position of power, that if your employees are constantly suffering, it is impacting your animal care, whether you like that or not. It's just a fact. If you are depressed, if you are constantly dealing with microaggressions, you just aren't going to be able to show up at 100%. And that can just be little things like, okay, I didn't do that extra training session. I didn't train that. I didn't tackle that behavior today or whatever. But when your humans don't have, don't show up feeling supported and encouraged and safe, they can't necessarily transfer those feelings to their animals. For your animals to feel safe and be in a learning environment where they can learn, your humans have to be in that same environment. And humans are just so often overlooked in this field, which is so ironic to me. But we all have a trust bank. We all have to trust each other so that we can move forward and grow. And we talk about making a trust bank with our animals and how, you know, if our animals make a mistake, we're not going to sit there and and you know, punish our animals. And we need to have the same perspective with our humans. You know, if someone reacts strongly, the 
the thought process shouldn't be, okay, that's a bad human. They need to be punished. It should be, okay, well, why did that happen? Let's look back and see what led to that scenario and do some more critical thinking of what led up to that situation like we do with our animals. And then the same thing should be applied to human behavior. The healthier and more supportive our people are, the healthier and more supported our animals will be. Emergency protocols or like on the airplane, we always talk about help yourself first so you can help others around you. And that's just completely overlooked in our industry. Um, but if we're not taken care of, we have less to give to our animals. I do know that there are places and teams that are taking this into account. And I want to shout out anybody who is on a team that is doing that because that is amazing. And I do feel like the last couple of years, this has been, it definitely has a long ways to go, but there are places wanting to celebrate and also sending support to people that are not in that situation, that are not fortunate and that feel those feelings that you were talking about. And hopefully this podcast going and checking out Maya's, their resources, their workshops can help you become empowered, feel heard, and speak up like you've been saying this whole time. So there are institutions that are doing some awesome stuff, and I want them to be highlighted more. And I really want our leaders to listen and hear and see that stuff more and why it's important. I mean, we have these discussions so often in Maya's when people aren't feeling heard. And Maya's has created a space where people can be heard in a safe place. Um, we vet everyone that comes in so that we all know that everyone coming in has the intention of being supportive of the mission, supportive of the members. And when you're frustrated by not being heard at your institution, sometimes just having a network of people where you feel like you can reach out to someone and say, like, I just need to talk. What I will also say is that if you're a member or a friend within our network, we also have like a SOS channel where everybody in the network gets notified if someone goes on that channel because it says, I need help right now. Like I, I need to talk through something who's available and someone can hop on and say, here's, you know, my cell number or I'll private chat you or whatever um, to provide some like instant network support. Sometimes just having that extra voice of someone that's on your side can be so helpful to approach and tackle a problem. And so we appreciate you coming and talking and helping us and hopefully multiple people throughout listening to this feel empowered to speak up and or feel also maybe a little bit heard as well throughout this this episode. So I appreciate you so much for coming on and helping to talk through some of this with our listenership here at Animal Behavior Conversations. I have to ask you, do you have a fun training or research story that you can share with our listeners? I've been thinking about this because I don't honestly do a ton of training in my profession. I've worked with fish, including um, sharks, and I've worked with octopuses as well. And those uh, those animals definitely require a training aspect. But one of the things that I think is funny, and I'll just shout out my colleague here for a second, you know, Mark Mark Murray, he's currently at Point Defined Zoo and Aquarium. And in 2017, he did a presentation at the Regional Aquatics Workshop demonstrating how to train sharks by using electrical signaling. And it was, it blew everyone's minds. And at the same time, it's like hilarious to me because we think that 
we can just train any animal based on the way that we would learn. And let me tell you, a shark or an octopus is not going to learn the same way that an otter will. <laughs> it just is not going to happen. And sharks have their own organ called the ampullae of Lorenzini, which detects detects minor, like really minute electrical senses. That's how they detect fish is because they can feel the electrical pulses within the fish's muscles. So Mark used that to be a reinforcer and a bridge for his sharks when he was training. And sure enough, got these very low food motivated sharks to come and put their nose on a target by using this stimulate, this ampullae of Lorenzini as a way to bridge them in a way that was specific to their needs. And I just think that's so important about, again, like what are people's needs? What are the animals needs and meeting people and the animals with where they're at and what they need, not placing on animals or people how we think they should learn, but instead like listening to how they need to learn and, and adapting to that, I think is super important. I love that training tale. I might say that it was fantastic. Hey. Um, <laughs> that's and that's officially one of my favorite ones we've done awesome <laughs> see oh. i could be here all day okay i'm gonna stop because i literally could probably come up with shark fish related things forever anyways oh, th <laughs> thank you so much for joining us we will have the information the links to miles's website in the show notes and we will also put this in the show notes as well. But if anyone wants to reach out to you specifically, Megan, how can they do that? If anyone wants to talk to me about anything related to Maya's, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. My email is executive director at mayas.org. Maya's is M-I-A-Z-S dot org. So you can reach me via email there and I'm always happy to discuss you can also follow Maya's on all of our networks. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handles are Maya's underscore now. Please do follow us there and that you can always get connected with us on any of our platforms as well. And that concludes today's episode. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at theabma.org. We'd love to hear from you because this podcast is made for you. So if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, please let us know. Once again, a special thank you to our guest, Sabrina Brando, James McAlob for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations. And in the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. Say your name just so I don't say it wrong. Megan Holst. Holst. Okay, perfect. Holst. Pretend you're German and say it with your gut, you know. Holst. Holst.